I could this morning, and uh, I'm going to make you do it again, but would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to do a responsive reading this morning. As we've been going through the book of Exodus, sometimes we get this idea, well, that's an Old Testament book. What does it have to do with today? It has a lot to do with it. And uh, there are some preachers who will only preach from the New Testament, some of them that will only preach from certain books of the Old Testament. But God's Word says to preach the entire counsel of the Word of God. Amen? So... Um, we're going to read a New Testament passage. I want to do a responsive reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 38 through 48. I'll begin reading with verse 38, then you verse 39, and so forth. So, beginning with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only the brothers... What are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You so much for Your Word. And Lord, how it's so applicable to our everyday living. And Lord, I pray that as we live out the Gospel, as we live out the Word of God in our lives, Lord, that we would not be pickers and choosers of those things which seem to be easier than others. And when it comes to those around us, Lord, our selfishness, our expectations, frustrations with neighbors and co-workers and relatives and, Lord, even loved ones. Lord, it's so easy to be selfish. It's so easy to be uh, ex- expecting things that are just not realistic. But Lord, all of us have to love. You demonstrate that through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would model it before a lost world. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 21 this morning. Exodus chapter 21. As you're turning there, last week we saw a picture of slavery as it was supposed to be exercised according to biblical guidelines. And we talked about the differences between voluntary slavery and involuntary slavery. Under these guidelines, a slave would serve his six years and be set free in the seventh. However, he was not set free empty-handed, as we learned. He was often given much to go with him as an ability to start his own family or carry on his own needs and so forth. The slave would be sent out with goods from the wine press, the threshing floor, and from his master's livestock. A daughter of a slave could be sold into slavery, thus increasing her chances for a better life, something that we don't understand within our culture. 
And most importantly, a slave could voluntarily give the remainder of his life to his master in gratitude of his master's benevolence to him. And this is what God wants from us, to voluntarily give our lives to him out of a heart of love and, and gratitude for what he has done for us. Um, I don't know if you thought much about last week's message throughout the week, but it really is challenging. And uh, had several comments, several text messages, several emails and so forth, various people saying, that was really interesting. But you know, the motivation behind a master willingly putting his ear to the post and having a mall driven into it and voluntarily giving his life in service to his master, the motivation for all that was what? Love. And love is such a powerful thing. God says that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your what? Love one for another. And that's not always easy to practice. You can say, well, I love them, I just don't like them. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron though? Isn't that kind of contradictory? To say, I love someone, I just don't like them. God calls us to be people who love biblically. Well, in the next text of Scripture, we'll no doubt invoke, invoke some difficult questions and emotions when read, especially in the realm of vengeance and repayment of life. Before we read the passage in Exodus, consider a few scenarios that take place every day across America. For example, a man strangles a woman late night in a city park. Happens all the time, unfortunately. A homeowner is awakened by a burglar who in a scuffle strikes a fatal blow to that burglar and accidentally kills him. Happens all the time. A woman with a vicious dog loses control of it and it mauls a child to death. Numerous cases of that across the United States. You don't hear about it much, but it happens. A child playing at the local playground is snatched away in a moment. Happens every day. Stories like these are not only commonplace, but they raise serious questions in your mind as to how they should be resolved. You say, well, in your mind, I know how I would resolve it if somebody attacks one somebody in my family. <laughs> Watch out. I'm willing to go to jail again. You know, We have this idea that we will take care of business, right? But what is the biblical response to such circumstances? Does a person who kills another human being deserve to die himself? What should be the just punishment of someone found guilty of kidnapping? Should someone whose animal or animals kills another human being be held responsible? These questions seem hard to answer, and it seems that few agree upon those answers. Everyone has their own opinion and suggestion of what the just penalty should be. But oftentimes we are left pondering whether or not justice took place. Especially when the expense of housing a prisoner versus implementing a death penalty, perhaps, in cases where there is no doubt or question of the offender's guilt. Let's turn our attention to the Word of God here in Exodus chapter 21. And uh, if you would, follow along as I read verses 12 through uh, verse 36. And remember, this is the book of the covenant. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments were given by God. The book of the covenant was given by Moses to help guide them in their rules and regulations, the laws in which they live by on a daily basis. Verse 12, whoever strikes a person so that he dies must be put to death. But if he didn't intend any harm, and yet God caused it to happen by his hand, I will appoint a place for you where he may flee. If a person schemes and willfully acts against his neighbor to murder him, you must take him from my altar and to be put to death. 
Whoever strikes his father or his mother must be put to death. Whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, whether he sells him or the person is found in his possession. Whoever curses his father or his mother must be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or his fist and the injured man does not die but is confined to bed, if he can later get up and walk around outside leaning on his staff, then the one who struck him will be exempt from punishment. Nevertheless, he must pay for his lost work time and provide for his complete recovery. When a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies under, under his abuse, the owner must be punished. However, the slave can stand up after a day or two. The owner should not be punished because he is his own property. When a man, uh, when men get in a fight and hit a pregnant woman so that her ch- children are born prematurely, but there is no injury, the one who hit her must find must be fined as the woman's husband demands from him, and he must pay according to judicial assessment. If there is an injury, then you must give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. When a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his tooth. When an ox gores a man or woman to death, the ox must be stoned. And its meat may not be eaten, but the ox's owner is innocent. However, if the ox was in the habit of goring, and its owner has been warned, yet does not restrain it, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox must be stoned, and its owner must also be put to death. If instead a ransom is demanded of him, he can pay a redemption price in the full amount demanded from him. If it gores a son or daughter, he is to be dealt with according to the same law. If the ox gores a male or female slave, he must give 30 shekels of silver to the slave's master, and the ox must be stoned. When a man uncovers a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit must give compensation. He must pay money to his owner, but the dead animal will become his. When a man's ox injures his neighbor's ox and it dies, they must sell the live ox and divide its proceeds. They must also divide the dead animal. If, however, it is known that the ox was in the habit of goring, yet its owner has not restrained it, he must compensate fully ox for ox, or the dead animal will become his. All kinds of interesting rules and regulations and laws to follow in the Old Testament here, in the Book of the Covenant. And you wonder sometimes, if some of these laws were even practiced a little bit in today's culture, what might be different? I mean, it seems like today we're awfully quick within a judicial system to send somebody to prison. Um, over the last several weeks, I've talked with numerous prison guards. It's just kind of crazy how, that, how it worked. We had a visitor here a week ago from Schenectady who was a retired prison official. Uh, we, I sat next to a soccer game, one David soccer games with a prison official uh, or, or uh, officer and so forth. But it's amazing what happens within a prison system. Depending on the state in which the prisons are maintained, that individual who may be on death row for an average of 20 years, some of them, is costing a taxpayer between forty dollars and $80,000 a year. And we wonder why our prisons are overcrowded, staff is underpaid, and the taxes keep going up in those states. I wonder what might be different if we would practice biblical principle 
and taking care where there is no doubt. I know some people don't like that. They won't agree with it, but it's biblical. Through our legal, though our legal system gives our society a good set of guidelines, it does not always give us clearly defined protocol that results in fair justice. For instance, a jury reaches a verdict only to have overturned because of a technicality. Happens every day across America. You know, they didn't read the rights exactly as they should have been read. Or the attorney couldn't had, had positive information, but it could not be admitted because of how the information was obtained. Technicalities get people off the hook all the time. Uh, sometimes a judge will make a decision regarding a case only to have it overturned on appeals that drag on for weeks, months, and sometimes even years. However, we have the Bible to give us many directives that can help define more definitively a protocol that will result in better justice. Though it does not give a scenario of every offense that one has to deal with, it does offer principles that can be applied to many aspects of our lives. If we would just get back to the Bible and its principles that we read about here in the Old Testament. So in the next several verses, we're going to observe several types of offenses where the book of the covenant will list the crime and the punishment. And one thing we'll all have to remember as we study the passage is this. All crime is a sin against God, and sin breaks the heart of God. Sometimes we have in our minds this idea that there are big sins and there are little sins. I don't know where that got started. I don't know who implemented that throughout the infamous they who did it. But sin is sin. And all sin breaks the heart of God. All sin affects relationship with God. And God is a just God. And He's so just that He says that when you confess that sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is a very just God. Some consequences are more severe than others. But according to the Bible, the consequences should be fitting the crime and proportionate to the crime that was committed. So, let's kind of look at the categories just slightly here. First category is this, crimes that call for capital punishment. If you're younger here this morning, you don't know what capital punishment is, it's simply this. If you kill someone, your life must also be taken. Um, that is capital punishment, and we find that very clearly. Crimes that call for capital punishment are the most serious types of crimes. The Book of the Covenant lists three of these serious crimes that require capital punishment. A life for a life. Anyone who is willing to take another man's life deserves to be put to death himself by the act of public justice. Some people have the notion that execution violates the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. One has to remember though, in the Hebrew language, kill and execute are two very different words. To kill has at its root the idea of homicide and murder. It carries the idea of cold-blooded killing of an innocent person. In such case, the killer or the murderer must be executed as an act of judicial judgment. But it has within its very core an intent to do harm. It has the idea that I want that person to suffer. I want to take them out. It, it is really a, it, it's an idea that it comes from within their body and they want that person to die. Death or execution for murder is a practice that is still in effect today. This legal practice originated by God long before the Ten Commandments were ever given. 
Remember in Genesis, in fact, if you turn back there, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. Actually, let's look at verse 5. It says, I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life and your blood. I will require the life of each man's brother for a man's life. Whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his image. So this is not anything new. This was implemented before the giving of the Ten Commandments, and it doesn't have the idea of intent to hurt or harm somebody. It is an act of judicial justice when a man involuntarily takes, or voluntarily takes another man's life. In fact, in Deuteronomy, over in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 19, there are two verses that stand out. And we'll come back to these later again. But in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 4, it says, Here is the law concerning a case of someone who kills a person and flees there to save his life, having killed his neighbor accidentally without previously hating him. Then verse 11, here's the difference. Verse 11, But if someone hates his neighbor, lies in ambush for him, attacks him, and strikes him fatally, and flees to one of these cities, The elders of his city must send for him, take him from there, and hand him over to the avenger of blood, and he will die. You must not look on him with pity, but purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood, and you will prosper. So the idea of capital punishment is not anything new. It was implemented back in the book of Genesis, long before the Ten Commandments were given. And it was an act of justice because God, God created man in his own image. And he says, if you, out of, a, out, out, of, out of a heart of anger, destroy a life, your life shall be taken. So it's not something that's unbiblical. And we have to remember that every human being is made in the image of God. And every time a human life is taken in murder, it's an attack against God. The executioner has to remember one main thing, however. Once an execution is performed, it can never be undone. So that's why proof must be there. It must be unequivocally known. This means that an execution should only take place when the convicted murderer's guilt is 100% certain. And because of this, God gave guidelines for the protection of the accused found. In fact, once again in Deuteronomy, and if you would, look at verses, uh, chapter 17, verse 6. The one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. No one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. The witnesses' hands are to be the first in putting him to death. And after that, the hands of all the people, you must purge the evil from you. So it's the idea that there must be witnesses. It must be certain. Because you don't want to execute somebody unjustly because once that execution takes place, it can never be undone. So in the case of murder, first of all, strict retribution is required for public justice. God also made special clauses for the unintentional or unpremeditated killing as described in Exodus chapter 21. In fact, if you look at verses 13 and 14, verse 13 says this, But if he didn't intend any harm, 
And yet God caused it to happen by His hand. You know, at first read, they say, what in the world does that mean? If God, do we serve a sovereign God? What? Yes, there we go. We serve a sovereign God who doesn't have to ask permission for anything He does. And sometimes God does things differently than what we would do. Sometimes God allows things that we would never allow for only reasons that He knows. God could at any given moment, and you've heard me say this a hundred times over the last several years, if God wanted to change the outcome of a certain event in history, He could do that. If He didn't want Hurricane Katrina to come, He could have just went, you know, a little blow, a little movement of His hand in the atmosphere, whatever, and it would have passed right over. But He didn't. If the tsunami that came years ago that destroyed hundreds and thousands of lives and families, if He didn't want it to happen, all He would have had to do is just not allow it. But sometimes God allows things for reasons that only He knows. And we trust His judgment. He's a sovereign God who can do whatever He wants, including in the death of a person. If He didn't want it to happen, He could say, you know what, I'm not going to let this person die. But sometimes God allows things. So verse 13, But if He didn't intend any harm, and yet God caused it to happen by His hand, I will appoint a place for you where He may flee. If a person schemes and willfully acts against his neighbor to murder him, you must take him from the altar and uh, to be put to death. So there's a difference between voluntarily killing somebody on purpose and premeditating to do that versus somebody who may have gotten in a fight and accidentally killed somebody not intending to kill them. So God made these places. In Numbers chapter 35, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, verse 30, or chapter 35, Look at verse 6 and following. The cities you give the Levites will include six cities of refuge, which you must provide so that the one who kills someone may flee there. In addition to these, give 42 other cities. The total number of cities you give the Levites will be 48, along with their pasture lands of the cities that you give the Israelites territory. You should take one more from a larger tribe and less from a smaller one. Each tribe is give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance it recovered or receives. Let me jump down to verse 15. These six cities will serve as a refuge for the Israelites and for the foreigner or temporary resident among them so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. So God understood the idea of people being killed accidentally. See, God understands that, but sometimes man doesn't. If it's your family, particularly your close, immediate family, your child, even though we may understand it would be an accident, a lot of times there's still hatred. A lot of times there's still emotions that are evoked that you want, to, you want justice the way you want justice. And in those cases, God says, listen, it was an accident. It was unintentional. Here are some cities that you can go to. And there is land set up so that you can live and you can prosper and you can move on. And they were safe in these places. In Deuteronomy, once again in chapter 19, uh, I won't go through all of it, but there are cities of refuge here as well. And when the Lord your God annihilates the nations whose land He is giving you so that you drive them out and live in these cities and houses, you are to set apart three cities for yourselves within the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Going down to verse 4. Here is a law concerning cases of someone who kills a person and flees there to save his life, having killed his neighbor accidentally without previously hating him. So there were the places that were set up these men would be examined, though. And their stories would be verified to see if what they said was so. 
It wasn't the idea that they could premeditatively kill somebody and then run to the city just to take cover. Their stories were just or, or were verified. In fact, in First Kings, uh, chapter two. First Kings chapter two, verse twenty-eight. The news reached Joab since he had supported Adonijah, but to Absalom, Joab fled to the Lord's tabernacle and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was reported to King Solomon that Joab has fled to the Lord's tabernacle and is now beside the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and told him, "Go and strike him down." So Benaiah went to the tabernacle and said to Joab, This is what the king says, Come out. But Joab said, Not, No, for I will die here. So Benaiah took a message back to the king. This is what Joab said, and this is how he answered me. And the king said to him, Do just as he says. Strike him down and bury him in order to remove from me and from my father's house the blood that Joab shed without just cause. And the Lord will bring back his own blood on his, shed, on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, without my father David's knowledge. With his sword, Joab murdered Abner's son of Ner, commander of Israel's army, and Amasa's son of Jether, commander of Judah's army. When there was just cause, they were to be put to death. If there was no just cause, they could flee to the city. So murder was definitely one of those circumstances when it was premeditated where their life would also be taken. The second one that we see here in our text in Exodus chapter 21 is a little bit more interesting. Attacking or cursing a parent. Not too highly favored. This is one of the several places in Scripture where women were given equality. In fact, verse 15 it says, Whoever strikes his father or his mother must be put to death. Verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother must be put to death. In the Hebrew language, the idea behind the word attack means to viciously attack or attempt to kill. It's not just the idea that you had words. It's not just the idea that you know one person was mean to the other. It has the idea here in the language where there was an attempt to kill or viciously attack. One of the Ten Commandments were upheld with this principle. God said to honor your father and your mother. That to me is a great thing. A great principle to live by. Several years ago, I gave the illustration of what it means to honor. Now, those of you that know me, you know I'm a pen freak. I, I just like nice pens. I hate cheap pens. I hate Bix. I, hate, I, I like a nice pen. So I take out this pen, and I say, you say, well, that, Pastor Ken, that's a nice pen. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> it ain't no dollar pen. I mean, this, this is a $6 pen. I mean, don't want to lose it. So well, I'd, like to, I'd like to have that pen. It's yours. I tell you what. You can have that pen. $100. $100? Yeah. You need a pen? I got one. You want one? Go get your own. Staples has bunches of them. You want this pen? It's going to cost you 100 bucks. See, that's not right. It's not right. But I put a $100 value on it right now. The word honor means to attribute value to to place value upon let's put that in the context of the commandment honor your father and mother put value 
upon your father and mother. Attribute value to your father and mother. That means when they tell you something, you look at as valuable what they say. You honor your parents by honoring or by, by understanding the value of their experience, the value of their instruction, the value of what they've gone through to give you what you've got, their sacrifice. So when you honor, you are placing value upon. Put that in the context. Honor your father and your mother. Why? Because he said if you do that, it's the first commandment with promise. That you may live long, that your days may be long upon the earth. If a person sought to attack his or her parent with intent to kill, God's word said his life should be taken. God was for the was for the preservation and the sanctity of the family. And then there was a third area in which capital punishment was acceptable and commended, and that was with the kidnapping or stealing of a human being. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 6 says, His master's is to bring him to the judges, and then bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master must pierce. No, I'm looking at the wrong verse here. Um, Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, verse 16. Verse 16 says, Whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, whether he sells him or the person is found in his possession. Kidnapping was punishable by death. And let me just say this, dads, if somebody kidnapped one of your kids, would that not be in your heart to do that and help out the justice system? God says, this is acceptable. It's right. And then a third area, and that's crimes resulting in personal injury. And this is found in verses 18 through 27. Here's the principle. If someone injures another being, he or she should compensate them for their losses. This was part of the principle of restitution. Um, look at verses 18 and 19. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or his fist, and the injured man, injured man does not die but is confined to bed, if he can later get up and walk around outside leaning on his staff, then the one who struck him will be exempt from punishment. Nevertheless, he must pay for his lost work time and provide for his complete recovery. So it was proper and just that if you injured a man so that he could not work and provide for his family, you get to provide for his family for him and cover his expenses. That was biblical. It was right. The price the offender had to pay varied, but physical violence was not to take place. This was to curb that. God still holds us accountable for our actions, even if they are unintentional. God is still for life. According to several of these verses, Abortionists deserve the death penalty for taking the innocent of life, innocent's life. And then there were crimes stemming from personal negligence. And we find this in verses 28 through 36. It says, When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox must be stoned. And its meat may not be eaten, but the ox's owner is innocent. However, if the ox was in the habit of, going, of goring and its owner has been warned, yet doesn't restrain it, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox must be stoned, and its owner must also be put to death. He goes on and says, wait a minute, there, there's, there's a price to pay. Someone got hurt or even killed because someone wasn't being careful. They didn't restrain their animals. Oftentimes, these crimes took place involving uncontrolled animals. The ox. In today's culture, sometimes it's dogs. 
Sometimes it's other circumstances. But there was a price to pay. Let me back up just for a moment. What happens, maybe you've never had this happen to you before, but what happens when, A, someone borrows something that you have. You're one of those guys that has one of everything, maybe two of everything, and they borrow it because you're just a nice guy and you lend it to them thinking it's going to come back the same way that you gave it to them. There's only one problem. When you get it back, it's broke. I'm sorry it broke. I mean, here you go, and they walk away. What goes on in your mind? <laughs> I see several of you smiling because anybody ever had that happen before? Yeah, there's my two hands and a foot. I've had that happen numerous times. You gave something to somebody, came back broke. What is your responsibility, though? If you borrow something out of someone else's generosity, what should you do? Take care of it. You say, it was already old and half broken and used up anyway. Go buy your own. But that's the chance or the risk that we take. On the other hand, if we're the person lending, I think we ought to lend with the idea that it may not come back the way I gave it. But I want to be a blessing and if it breaks, it breaks. You see, the difference that helps bring together the one side versus the other is what? Love. It's just a thing. Now, sometimes we don't have the idea that our stuff is just stuff. We kind of put more, more stock and value in, and, and value on the thing than we do the person. And I think when we do that, we have to be careful. Let me give you an illustration. Um, several weeks ago, I think my wife was with me. Um, I was out in Wegmans parking lot, and I, I, this is this is true. I, I don't know where this phenomena comes from, but it's true. If you get a new vehicle, people try harder to hit you. True, truth. I'm not kidding you. Since I got this truck, I think I've avoided like ten accidents. People just are out to get you when you got a new vehicle. They don't care when you got an old rust bucket. I mean, truth. So I'm out in Wigman's parking lot, and all of a sudden, this cart comes flying towards my truck, and I just, I kind of half, half saw it out of the corner of my eye, but this lady is trying to get it, and she caught it about this far from hitting my truck, and all of a sudden, she went into, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just looked at her, and I laughed, and she kind of looks at me, and I said, it's just a thing. It is just a thing question is, where's your focus? Is it on? There's another whole lesson there. We don't have time to get into. But crime stemming from personal negligence, when you are responsible for breaking something that you borrowed, you are responsible for not returning something that someone was gracious enough to give you. You need to cover it. That's biblical. But at the same time, I think we have a responsibility to make sure that with the possessions that we have, that they don't have us. That's another lesson. Last aspect of the, of the text here. Crimes involving retaliation. Lex talionis. 
the basis of these laws contained in the book of the covenant was that the punishment be fit for the crime that was committed. And the principle of this law stemmed from Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. If there is an injury, then you must give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. Its purpose was to keep people from exercising personal revenge. And the law prohibited private citizens from exercising personal revenge. So how does this, what took place in the laws that were instructed in the Old Testament in the Book of the Covenant, what does that have to do with today? Are, are we still in a, no, no, it's a different mindset. It's a different frame. But they give us a guideline. But how does this relate to us today? Let's turn back to what we read in our responsive reading this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38, you'll find that they're a repeat of Exodus 21. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I hit him. He hit me first. I mean, he bruised my eye. He's going to bruise his. I mean, why not, right? But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. How many would enjoy that? Not too many of us. As for one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This is totally uncultural in our, in our context, isn't it? Shouldn't be, but it is. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So what does he do from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Folks, there is responsibility. If we borrow something, we should return it in the same shape in which we borrowed it. But if you're the person lending, give it to him. Give it to him. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Once again, he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you're my children, that you're my family, by your love. See, love covers a multitude of sins, does it not? Love overlooks. Parents, why is it that you can deal with your kids who don't do what they tell you what you tell them to do? When they don't clean the room as they ought to, when they don't do the chores as they should, when they don't fulfill what you've laid out for them to do? Because you love them. Right? You overlook some things because you love them. Bothers you a little bit, but you love them. I think that's what God wants us to do with everyone. Love those around us. Show them love. Be a picture of Christ to them. Verse 46, For if you love those who love you, that what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? I mean, you can't just show love to those who it's easy to show love to. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He expects us to love everyone. That's the thing that covers from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And all these things. Say, well, I have a right to. Well, maybe you have the right. But is it the best choice? Would not love be a better option? In this culture that we live in, it's all about me. It's all about what I think I deserve, what I think I'm entitled to, what I think is appropriate for my loss. We live in a sue-happy world, don't we? You love the silly Noah Barnes commercials? I got ten times more than what they were willing to give me. We live in a sue-happy world. You've got to love it. We're all about number one, all about taking care of ourselves when we should be others-oriented and people who take responsibility for what we do. I don't know about you, but it's a challenge. It's a reminder to show love over vengeance. It's a reminder to be a picture of Christ over a picture of what this world sees in each other. We have hope. What we have in this world is temporary, is it not? It's temporary. We live for something else. We may have stuff, but I hope the stuff doesn't have us. We live for the relationships, but not the relationships of this earth. We live for the relationships in heaven. The most important relationship, the relationship with Jesus Christ. And I have to admit, if that relationship is right, most of the time these relationships are right. Right? If the vertical is where it needs to be, the horizontal will take care of itself. But if the focus is on the horizontal more than the vertical, you're going to have problems. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, though it is an Old Testament book of the covenant series, Lord, we know that the application still applies today. I pray that you would help us to be people who love, people who live to be a picture of Christ in the lost and dying world that we live in, that our focus would not be on the temporal, but on the eternal, that we would be willing to help those in need, that we would not retaliate in vengeance and personal agendas and taking care of our own expectations and whims, but God, that we would trust you. Lord, it's really where it's at. Help us to follow you, God, in all these things. His heads are bowed.